Welcome to the Fresh is the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kay Fresh. This is episode 25. Yes, we've hit the quarter of a century mark. <laughs> it's, uh, it's April now, and guess what? It's still freezing in Michigan. What the hell? It's supposed to be spring by now, and it's still in the 30s. We got teased by warm weather last month, so I have no idea what's going on. And I'm finally over... This I've suspected freaking food poisoning. I, I feel like I got like the same day that I uh dropped the last podcast. Uh that night I uh went out with a friend to uh uh I took her to see uh If Then the musical at the Fisher Theater, which that musical is incredible. I would highly recommend going to see it if you ever get a chance to. Afterwards, I stopped, you know, at the Marble Bar to, you know, have a few drinks. Um, there's this Detroit hip hop show going on. And then after that, I left. I left, and I was just like, I'm hungry, and I stopped and get some Taco Bell. And let's just say the next morning, it did not agree with me. And I thought it, was, I thought it was just a little stomach ache. No, it was everything. And I couldn't eat a full meal until yesterday, man. Almost a week. And, ugh. So I I think I had food poisoning or whatever. And that was terrible. I was just exhausted for the past week. Ugh. <sighs> That's something I definitely do not do not want to go through again. I, I think I'm going to change my eating habits up <laughs> totally now. Uh, because I, I put two and two together and... Long story short, like the more I eat the stuff that I've been usually eating, the more I, more often I get sick, various various things, colds, flus, or whatever. There's a time a few years ago when I was in that horrible relationship with this girl, that I was barely eating. You know, I was eating whatever I could eat, but I wasn't eating that much. I yes, I was feeling shitty because I was stressed out all the time. And emotionally drained and beaten. But I wasn't getting sick at all. I wasn't getting flus or colds or whatever. I think that that was because I was just eating less. And whatever causes me to get sick or colds or flus. That level of food wasn't going into my system to cause that. So I, I don't know what was going on. But I think I'm just going to... This is a good time to reassess what I'm eating. So I'm just kind of keeping it light now that I can actually uh, eat again. So I'm eating like salads or whatever, you know. I, I'm so not good at like eating healthy because sometimes there's just things that I just really hanker for. But I really need to just chill out and reassess. And But if you have any tips on how to eat better, I, I, that's a loaded question. Uh, you know, let me know, you know, tweet me. Rensel, R-E-N-S-O-U-L, or email me at questions at freshesthepodcast.com. And, uh, I don't know, eating healthy is such a hard thing for me because people always people always tell, give me tips 
like it's easy for me to understand what they just said. Oh, just eat this, this, and this, and cut out this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that just makes all the sense in the world, yeah. Uh, I'm not a big foodie, you know, and eating's just, like, uh, something that we have to do as humans, and I don't really... I just want it done with. When I'm hungry, I just don't want to be hungry anymore. And I want to get the quickest way possible for that to happen. <laughs> but I've been eating a lot of crap for re definitely recently. I put on a few pounds this winter, as many of us do. So, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I want to get a little bit physically fit. That's That was one, one of the weird, I don't know if a lot of people who, who enjoy wrestling have this effect but watching so much wrestling makes me look at all these guys taking care of themselves being physically fit and everything i'm like i want to kind of be physically fit now i don't want to be be a pro wrestler i don't want to be jacked but you know I want, a life goal would be to be able to suplex somebody if if need be i'm not gonna go around suplexing people but if if need be uh, speaking of wrestling, do it. Uh, I, I couldn't think of anything else for the past week or so because this past weekend was WrestleMania weekend, and boy, it was a doozy. It was it was emotional. There, it, a lot of good matches, a lot of good events. Oh, I, I had a good time. There are some things that disappointed me, but whatever. That's that's wrestling. It disappoints you sometimes. It's life. Uh. The highlight of my weekend, the NXT TakeOver Dallas. And the, the the debut of Shinsuke Nakamura versus Sami Zayn. Oh my god, that was one of the best, best, best matches I've seen in a while. It, it, it goes down to one of my favorites. And I just had, I, it was so emotional to see Shinsuke in the WWE. Like, and... It was just, it was just nuts. The whole NXT TakeOver match was just two hours and some change of just high-octane, amazing wrestling. Every, every match was good. Every match was high-energy. Just, it, it was just an incredible event. That was on Friday. Saturday was the, the Hall of Fame, which, that, that was actually a really interesting uh, event, you know, so, Sting, Snoop Dogg, uh, the Freebirds. Oh, they're all all the Freebirds. They let the Freebirds talk forever, and all their stories were awesome. Stan Hansen, that dude is just awesome. Joan London was like got the Warrior Award uh, for her fight against breast cancer. That was very touching. Dana Warrior came out and uh, presented it to her, and <laughs> I just I love Dana Warrior, right? Like the Ultimate Warrior's wife. She just has. This, this thing about her, um, uh, Miss Jackie got uh, Miss Jacqueline got inducted. Uh, she's the first, um, you know, African American, you know, female to be uh, inducted into the the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm probably uh, missing. Oh yeah, the Big Boss Man, his, his kids uh, inducted him because he passed away more than ten years, about twelve years ago, and they were just adorable. You know, his kids and his wife. Uh, inducted them they were just adorable it was just it was just a good it was a good event you know i i really i watched the whole thing i was totally in for it you know and then um sunday night was the big 
the big big event, WrestleMania. And it was a good I was very locked in for the whole event, you know. A lot of good matches. I didn't I necessarily didn't you know, a, you know, like a lot of the results of of it. Uh the main events, Triple H versus Roman Reigns, that that one was probably the match that everybody, even the crowd, was least into. There, uh, it, it just we all knew it was gonna happen. Roman Reigns won. There wasn't anything shocking. For some reason, it was no longer a no disqualification match, which it was being billed for for the past few weeks. Uh, it was just really weird. Uh, best part of the night was when during the seven man ladder. Intercontinental title match, the Zack Daddy himself, New Zack City, Zack Ryder won it. He got his WrestleMania moment, and that's it. It is kind of a shocking, strange person to win, but that dude has been so loyal to the company, even though he's been shitted around and jacked around and just never given a really good push and just and he did a lot of great spots during that match, dude. It was it was great. So I'm super happy. He definitely deserved it, man. Super happy for Zack Ryder uh, for getting his WrestleMania moment. That's what every kid who ever wants to be in wrestling dreams about, getting the WrestleMania moment, and he finally got his. The best, the best match of the night, though, was definitely the women's title. The rebranding the Divas title into the women's title, finally. I always hated the Diva. The diva title and it definitely with that butterfly looking belt. It, it just so they're they're this new class of women's wrestlers are superstars. They're on the same level as the guys in the company. So why it's almost belittling them to have this divas thing with this butterfly thing. I know some people you know want you know there is people who who feel empowered by doing that whole diva thing. It means power or whatever, but whatever. It's a little belittling, I think, to to have them, to separate them in such a specific term, you know. So they rebranded it, the women's title, gave a whole new look of the title. The title looks like the, the WWE title, but is a white strap and has some other nuances about it. But it looks... It's finally a little bit more equality in regards to treating the women as superstars in the WWE. Uh, Charlotte ended up winning the match in the triple threat against Becky Lynch and Sasha. Of course, with some help of her daddy, woo, Ric Flair. Uh, which I'm I'm so sick of matches ended with Charlotte ending that way, where somehow Ric Flair gets in the middle of it and leads to the win. But Sasha Banks, uh. She came out to the ring uh, with her, her cousin, Snoop Dogg. He was rapping on the way down. And uh, she had some of her uh, clothing inspired by her favorite wrestler of all time, Eddie Guerrero. And she even used some Eddie Guerrero moves in the, in the match. There's this one time when uh, Charlotte had Becky Lynch in a figure four leg lock. And out of nowhere, um, Sasha Banks comes through with a perfect Eddie Guerrero's uh, frog splash and then there's another time when uh i think charlotte was outside and and uh sasha banks does a suicide dive with a flip outside man yo 
Sasha Banks is such a star, but I was super disappointed that Sasha or Becky didn't win. If Sasha Banks would have won the women's title, man, I would have got super emotional, man. I might have cried. Like, for real. It was that emotional. Uh, then that leads us to Monday night, the Raw. The Raw after Mania is usually one of the craziest ones ever of the year. It, it's kind of it's supposed to like mark like a new year, a new season, a new without new beginnings, and it was kind of a weird night because at WrestleMania Shane McMahon lost to the Undertaker, so he didn't seize control of Raw and totally, but on Raw, Vince McMahon still let Shane McMahon run it for one night only. To see what he got, you know, whatever. It was kind of a weird... The thing was, it didn't really seem like it made a difference because Shane McMahon's presence wasn't super felt visually throughout the night. But there was a lot of NXT debuts on Raw. Apollo Crews, um, Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin won the uh, the Andre the Giants uh, Battle Royal at WrestleMania. He come out, he beats Dolph Ziggler. He looked... I was never a Baron Corbin fan. I really kind of hated him before. But he's he's finally starting to get comfortable in this character of his, and I'm really starting to like him. Um, one of the best debuts was of the, the, the kings of Staten Island, Enzo and Cass. They came out after uh, the Dudley Boys Usos match, and... Uh, they started ripping into the Dudley boys, and it was hilarious, and it was everything that we ever would think a Enzo and Cass debut on Raw would be. Big things for those guys. It was hilarious. The ending of Raw was where the best time of the night was. It ended with a fatal four-way match, which um, you know, rooted from beginning of when beginning of the night when Roman Reigns came out and said, you know, he pretty much challenged anybody to the world title. So Sami Zayn came out, Kevin Owens came out, Jericho came out, and AJ Styles came out. And then they started brawling or whatever. Uh, later on in the in the evening when Sami Zayn was doing an interview backstage, Kevin Owens attacked them, and he got knocked out of the match. Uh, a little word is that somebody on Twitter said that after the brawl earlier, Sami Zayn was clutching his shoulder so he might have re-aggravated that shoulder. So that might have been their way of covering it up and getting him out of the match so he doesn't injure his shoulder any anymore, which that took him out for a long time before. So they, uh, when it came time for the fatal four-way, Sami Zayn was out. It was going to be Chris Jericho versus AJ Styles versus Kevin Owens, and... Cesaro is back to take Sami Zayn's place. Cesaro, the sweetest Superman. And he was awesome. Oh, my. It was so great to see him back. This fatal four-way match was just lit. It was, oh my, it, it might have been better than most of the WrestleMania matches, man. And my boy, one of my favorite wrestlers in the world, AJ Styles, came out victorious. And with the winner of that fatal four-way, he becomes the number one contender for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. So soon, I don't know when, we will have AJ Styles versus Roman Reigns. 
and that ended WrestleMania weekend. And now I'm sad. It's like post WrestleMania depression right now. And oh, oh my god. And just on another note, I was a little sad. Uh, Zack Ryder lost his IC belt to the Miz on Monday Night Raw, so he hit it for one night. But he get he, but he's getting a rematch on SmackDown. I don't know if they're gonna go back and forth or whatever, but we'll see. But uh, that's an, I can't talk about any Rus- any more WrestleMania, or I'm gonna get more choked up. We have a good show for you today. We have a hip hop producer out of Queens, New York. Goes by the name of Super Dave West. He is most notably known for his work with De La Soul ever since uh, the Grind Aid album. Uh, he's currently executive producing their uh, their newest album that they got off the ground by an enormously, enormously successful Kickstarter campaign. So they're currently working on that. Uh, we talk about that and when we should uh, be looking out for that. Uh, he's worked with the likes of, you know, Talib and E-40 and Michelle and Degolicello, uh, among uh, many others. And we get into, you know, who he's been working with, uh, how he's been working with uh, De La Soul. Uh, he, had, you know, he did do some work on, uh, on with Jay Dilla on the, on that, uh, the, Di- the Diary album that's finally coming out that, you know, is supposed to come out. Um, back in 2002 on MCA, uh, so he he's worked with a little he's low key worked with a little bit of everybody in uh, in hip hop. So it's been uh, so so we had a great talk about all that, and uh, let's get to the interview with Super Dave West. Yeah, uh, yeah. First off, thanks for uh, taking the time out to do this uh, interview for the podcast. No doubt. Cool. Yeah. Um. Pleasure is all mine. No doubt. No doubt. So, um, a big subject going on right now is definitely the the passing of Fife Dog from uh, Tribe Called Quest. Um, you know, you know, what did you know Tribe Called Quest mean to you? Do you have any personal stories about um Fife or the uh, Tribe Called Quest? Yeah, you know that's a that's a touchy one because I'm still mourning Fife, and um, you know, just the way everything is pushed, the speed in which everything is pushed, man. It's like, I'm not ready to really talk about him or party over him or, you know what I mean? Like, he's, he's not even buried yet, you know what I mean? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I know um, it's... Yeah, but know. he did touch my life. I mean, he is responsible for me. Um, there are a lot of ties there, like from just being in childhood, um... A lot of us ran in the same circles, went to church together, stuff like that. And Queens is a big old neighborhood, and um, that's why it felt the way it did from the start. It felt very natural because it was a neighborhood in that way. But directly, his um, contribution and his, you know, the, the seed that he sowed into my career was kind of introducing me in a roundabout way to Daylight, and. Um, um, you know, I had a record deal that was that went through Ali and Tip, so it was there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of close alliance, or whatever. But God bless the dead, you know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. He he was definitely. I know I didn't really answer that dead on, but you know that's the best I could really. Do. Oh no, that's that's all right. You know that's all right. He's definitely uh, 
influential and it is uh you know a very you know touchy subject right now because there's so much emotional you know emotion tied to that group with uh, all of us you know hip-hop fans throughout the years it was pivotal it was a pivotal change that happened when they came through when a couple of groups came through but them in particular tribe i'm referring to you know for us that was a certain paradigm shit Yeah, definitely, because it was like there was like a transition between sort of one golden age of hip hop to another, and they were in the middle of that while everybody was trying to dust off all the sort of glamour and excess of the 80s. Uh, you had these guys come in and, you know, very, you know, stripped down, very, you know, you know, Afrocentric. Uh, you know, bohemian, you know, and it was something that people could really, you know, gravitate towards because they were, you know, very much sort of your everyday sort of people, you know. You know, you kind of, you know, spoke on it when you were spoken with uh, about uh, Fife. You know, how was it growing up in Queens? Uh, Queens is just a playground of creativity, honestly. You know, Queens is, Queens is one of those spots where a lot of different cultures obviously exist, um, and um, it's not as it's way different than the other boroughs, and um, just different. My era definitely real innovative. It was a real innovative county, put it like that. <laughs> right, right. Everybody had a paintbrush, you know. So, what did your father do? Um. My father was just a, a, a gentleman, you know? My father kind of just was a family man, made sure everything was cool, um, managed the cleaners in the Bronx, you know, brought home the bacon. He sang, though, had a lot of style, dressed very well, <laughs> you know? He sang He sang a little bit here and there, some open mics back in the day. Um, but just a, a man of, of uh, great style and, and purpose. How did you get into playing music? Um, I was a little frustrated. <laughs> I was a little frustrated like early on in life and um, had a lot of stuff I was going through uh, emotionally and the music just was an escapism at first and then it became a serious hobby and then it became a serious profession. That's kind of how I started, and and I guess my my uh, place of um, really harnessing the music was probably in, in church. So I did grow up in church, yeah. playing the drums. So drummer by trade before anything else, and did that for many years. What was some of the first like you know hip hop acts or music acts in general that really you know, influenced you, you really passionate about? Hip-hop acts or music acts? Um, huh. Well, I didn't start as a DJ, so it wasn't really about records at first. Because like I said, I was a church musician, so I, I came from the musician's aspect, like being a player. Yeah. So we were like, we were listening to jazz records from the standpoint of... Um, just studying song structure and 
you know, everything from, um, I wasn't a real bebop head as much as I was a jazz fusion head, like Crusaders and all of that. And um, my favorite group was was the Police. So I liked the way Stuart Copeland played drums. And so I kind of modeled a certain style of pocket after that. And then there was obviously, you know, old school hip hop and um, just the whole B-boy-ism thing. I, I saw, like, going to the Bronx, there were a couple of times a year I would go to the Bronx for, for a couple of different reasons with my, my sister's now ex-husband. They would have, like, barbecues and stuff. So I kind of saw that, that culture coming up that, you know, between 12 and 15, like, really in my face. Nice. How did you uh, first get into actually producing music? Um... I kind of grabbed the drum machine. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing, I was playing drums heavily and I was on tour and stuff. And, um, I, I heard, I believe it was, uh, they debuted one of Pete, Pete Rock and CL Smooth's albums. Um, I was listening to hip hop definitely is like yeah. constant music. But when I heard Pete Rock's production, I kind of like, it made me cry when I heard it. It was something about it. It was just touched me. Yeah, I think a lot of people had that uh, reaction uh, during that time. Yeah, it was just something about it, it was magical because I couldn't at the time I couldn't tell the, rep, the the difference between you know the fact that these were records and he seamlessly put things together in such a way that I was just like, okay, what instruments are they using? Like, it, you know, just it was musically a whole nother you know kind of place for me, but somewhere around. Um, between uh, 94 and 96, I started messing around. And then I started programming sessions. And, and then I started just, you know, full-fledged making music. Do you remember the first time you sort of, you know, maybe got your break to be able to work with somebody that was, you know, somewhat, you know, pop, you know popular or, you know, was on some sort of level of, uh, you know, where that they were on already, you know, do you remember that moment? Um, well, from a drumming aspect, it was this lady named Queen Esther Marrow that used to have a run through Europe and she was kind of like, um, uh, what is it called? She was, she was kind of like, she did old Negro spirituals and she had like a show, not like vaudeville, but, she was on another level in Europe, and I got a chance to play with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from that, I mean, from the music side, I think it, it was definitely um, Dave from Dayla was over Fife's house. And um, Fife had a beat tape from me. And um, Dave heard some music, and I got a call that moment from, from Dave from Dayla. So that was probably one of those moments of many. Definitely, definitely. So, uh, kind of coming up to the present right now, you're, uh, you know, you're working with De La Soul. You're pretty much, you know, their main guy, and um, they recently uh, had a massively successful Kickstarter for their new album. What sort of opportunities did the success of that Kickstarter grant you guys in making this album? Um, it granted us a lot of access because, you know, the, the people really showed their love 
and um and concern for the process of the album so it allowed us to really comfortably make a, a good piece of work without any timelines and what you know without certain things i mean it's timelines with kickstarter but like to make it like the process of uh, you know, booking the sessions and how we needed to structure things. And we did a lot of jam sessions that turned into source music. It wasn't an average process. So um, they allowed us to make a great album where a lot of companies, you know, even back in the day, like there, there's time constraints and handing the album in and, you know, not being able to clear samples. And there's a lot of things that happened that made some albums that were actually great. They could have been greater if they had a, big, a bigger process. So I think that's what was the, the key. And then there was a whole other brand of, of um, promotion that came out of the Kickstarter campaign that was a pleasant surprise, I think, to the crew. We touched people from a whole other angle and made the awareness big from that angle, not just, you know, your average promo. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a brave new world out here. Yeah, definitely. In you know talking about the fellas of uh, you know De La Soul, uh, recently um, I caught Prince Paul on the Combat Jack uh, podcast talking about the early days working with uh, a very green De La Soul. You know he had to really pretty much you know lead the way for these guys, but now you're sort of kind of in that position now with a much more definitely seasoned legendary group. You know how is it working with those guys now? Um. It's, it's, we're all the same people. I swear to you, like, we're all either distant cousins or, like, you know, first cousins or brothers. That's how we are with each other. So we, we come from a lot of the same, uh, generational values, habits. You know, we, we talk about the same cartoons. We crack the same joke. We're on the same plane and everybody is different in that plane but they bring this thing together that's kind of magical. So I'm not really, I'm not really doing this thing where I come in and make things totally different. I'm kind of like, you know, an added gun inside of the shootout, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, making, make or whatever. And, you know, to, to kind of correct you without getting deep into it. They knew what they were doing from day one. Nobody really got it. them like that. I don't know where that story comes from, but that wasn't the case. From, you know, from your inside perspective, what is it about De La Soul that has made them such a consistent group since in that, that first album that came out, um, um, the three, three Feet High and Rising? You know, what makes them right. always sort of be able to refresh things and make things so in the now and current? Because we're enigmas. We're, we're deliberate enigmas. That's the only way I say it to you. I know that sounds weird and out, but it's just it's like we, we are very, we all think out of the box. We're always, you know, kind of chewing on what's the new twist on this. You know how there's a million ways to say one thing? And you just find different ways to say it depending on how exactly you want the emotion to run through it. This, this, this is what we do musically. Yeah. And they've been doing that from day one because it's just how they think, you know, that they're not afraid to kind of throw, throw paint against the canvas and let it, you know, 
and and that's that's really what it is. That's that's why it's been that way. And the fact that it's a lot of work ethic. Like Pos writes rhymes the same way he did when he was eighteen. The same way, like with with a serious like a kid comes from home from school and does homework. He's usually writing. <laughs> right. Dave is usually doing the same thing. So they haven't lost this work ethic that existed from you know three feet high rise, and they they've only gotten better with it and more consistent. And that's the truth. No, I was saying, so we're always talking concept. It's a constant thing. Right. One of my favorite, you know, De La Soul albums, but just even hip-hop albums, period, is The Grind Date. And you produced a bunch of uh, joints on there. You know, and to me, that was an album that really sort of solidified them as being that consistent entity. Because that album seemed so here and now when it came out. Um, looking back, you know, what were you thinking that you want to contribute to that album when you were making it? Um, what I wanted to contribute to the grind date was just like, you know, you kind of base things on like their title. And that title came a little early. So it it had to sound like that, you know, it's something about it that the, the, the time that we did, it was very grind oriented, you know, um, a lot, a lot of studio work. It was still studio culture, like big a rooms and all of that, you know, running from this room across town to that room and mixing it in this studio and then running back across to the other one. So it was, it's a lot of work that went into that. It was a real grind, but, um, I don't know. We just felt kind of funky, man. We just felt like, you know, throwing it on, on canvas real funked out and, you know, real mean. I don't know if that, that makes sense, but we <laughs> wanted it to growl, but still have melodic sensibility. So that's, you know, that's what we went for. Definitely. You, um, Back, uh, you did work with uh, Jay Dilla on material that was um, supposed to be on his uh, 2002 MCA Records album that is now seeing, starting to see the light of day. You know, how is it working with him? How did that come about? Um, me and Jay, me and Jay would hit each other up, and um, well, first of all, you gotta understand Jay being. I had a I had a record deal with Q-Tip. And so I would go out to Q-Tip's house, you know, around the same time, Jay was coming from Detroit, coming to, to, New, to, to New York and chilling with Chip. So it's like we were kind of doing the same things and kind of not knowing each other at the time, um, kind of in the same arena. And, um, and then we just, you know, we started, like, getting cool with each other, calling each other concept. We went and dug for records a couple of times. And we talk concept, like, how do you do this? How many different ways you flip a record? And, and um, we just kept inspiring each other. And he just hit me one day. He was like, yo, I want to do this. I use all my favorite dudes or whatever. And so, so I did that. So we knew the music from a whole, I think, a whole other side, like, just feel and, like, application to, like, what makes something what it is. Like, we kind of knew it inside out. We used to talk about that. What's something you learned from him? Um, 
like, Jay just, like, just was addicted. I was addicted to it in the same right. But, well, from Jay, it's just like he worked, like, extremely hard. And he did things on purpose. But I think if there was any room to just be creative, it was about being being creative to find, like, what you wanted. As long as you kept working and kept knocking out beats and kept knocking out concepts, you just kind of fall into great moments. And he kind of taught me that, you know, you just got to keep grinding. Definitely. Yeah, and over the years, you've uh, you've gone on to, you know, work with a slew of, you know, popular artists, both uh, hip-hop and beyond, you know. Who's been some of your favorite people to work with? Um, I like working with uh, Michelle and Diego Shallow. That was cool. What was that experience um, like? It was great. I mean, we were we were like in the tenderloin section of Frisco, which was crazy as hell. Like just from the hotel that I was working at, I mean, staying at to you know walking the Hyde Street Studio. If anybody knows what that is, that that spot is just legendary. A lot of big records have been done there, and it was just you know she's a funkster. Like she picks up a bass guitar and she picks up things and plays it. So that session was cool from a from a real music camaraderie um, angle. Um, I also worked with Teriyaki Boys, but I wasn't able to be there because they were in Japan. Yeah. But we did some creative little things. It was like one piece that made one of their albums. I believe it was serious Japanese. That's like '09 or something. Nice. I hear you've been doing some uh, work with Snoop Dogg. Um, I sent a series of work to Snoop Dogg with Snoop Dogg in mind. And, um, it seems, you know, we'll see how it unfolds, but it, it seems like, you know, we, we could possibly be working in the future. That'd be a great moment. And I know you did, uh, you did some work with, uh, E-40. How is it to work with him? Oh, 41 is crazy. Like, that was a real inspiring moment because his culture and his the way he does things, it's like you see it when you're in the room with him. He's very colorful. Not colorful like a Buster Rhymes or, um, you know, like that. But, you know, you, you can kind of see, feel like the energy of the music you're about to make with him. And... um. It, that was great, just going out, hanging out at his crib for a number of days and just seeing all of the million plaques of his on the wall. It just tells you that you can really be successful in the industry and just be yourself. Like he, he, I, I got a lot of that from him, just being yourself is key. Awesome. Yeah, no, he's definitely one of the most like unique people that we've ever seen in hip-hop. No, you you talking about E forty? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 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 I mean because it's just it it's it's undeniable. <laughs> like it's not gonna be anything else but just, you know, shocking and beautiful and consistent. And he's an amazing wordsmith too. Great person. Definitely. 
Is there anybody that you still have not worked with yet that you would love to just do something with? Um, I would love to do a body of music on, you know, a project and like have Quincy Jones score it, maybe strings or just come in and add his, his, uh, his expertise. Definitely would, would like to work with, uh, Nile Rogers. Cause I was a serious, um, chic fan. Do you remember like do you remember that that sort of time you know not not necessarily like when you had like that first break or whatever like I asked you before but a moment where you're you're realizing hey this music stuff is something that I could probably do for the rest of my life and possibly live off of it do you remember that time Nah Nah I really don't I've always been kind of living off music so it's always just I, kind of I, been a I, part I, of you. That sounds crazy, but I'm just, it's the truth. I, I've always been on some level living off music. I've never had a job in my life. I went from high school to touring. Wow, that's incredible. So I've I've been on the road since I got out of high school and transitioned into a producer and then transitioned into, you know, songwriter, arranger, and all that other good stuff. That's incredible. Well, thank you. <laughs> so, um, you know, kind of getting back to, you know, what's going on right now. Uh, you're working on the De La Soul album. Uh, what's sort of the, like, is there any sort of uh, loose timeline about when that's going to be finished and out? Um, we're thinking probably June. Okay. June. Working on some treatments as far as video getting ready to film a lot of stuff and like that final wave of tying it all in promotion and everything else. Probably June is, is what it looks like, what it's looking like. Okay. Cool. And besides the, the whole De La Soul thing, um, you know, is there anything else that you're working on? You know, what's next for you? Um, I'm working on a group situation that I'll probably be in. Um, with a couple of friends of mine, I'm trying to tread lightly with how I say it, <laughs> but it's, 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 um, it's definitely going to be a big part of my expression, like what I bring to the table musically. And then I'm working also on a, a follow-up to a instrumental album that I did called beatboxing. Okay. It's going to be called spitboxing. So that's going to be a featured um, album with with features on it. But then outside of that, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm jumping into the mix engineer lane. Uh, I was, I was, I've talked to Bob Power and kind of like I was mixing with Bob Power on some of the records, and okay. he talked about you know bringing me in and kind of mix on the mix side of things. So I think I'm going to go into mix engineering. Oh, that'd be incredible to, uh, to work with him. Hello? No, that'd be incredible to work with him. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bob, Bob is just, there's no words for Bob power. I mean, he's just, 
somebody that you're blessed to have in your existence if it, if it happens, you know? Definitely, definitely. All right, man, that's about it for the interview, man. Thanks for thanks again for uh, taking the time out. It was great to uh, be able to talk about some things uh, with you, uh, talk about some hip-hop with you and what's going on with De La Soul and their album. So it was great to talk with you. Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks for hitting me up. I appreciate it. <laughs> no doubt, man. You have a, you know have a good day and uh, good luck with everything. Okay, man. Hit me back if you if you want to chat. So that was the interview with Super Dave West. It was great to talk with him. Uh, be on the lookout for that De La Soul album coming out later this year. If you'd like to uh, support the Fresh is the Word podcast, you can go to our website, which is freshisthepodcast.com. And there's a link at the top that says support the podcast. And on that page, there is a PayPal link that you can donate to. Or there is a Amazon link on there that you can use anytime that you want to purchase anything on Amazon. Use that link. And after you make your purchases, Amazon will shoot some commission back to me. I'll just go to help the show. Also, I definitely appreciate all the listens. And if you definitely want to share the links to the website, freshesthepodcast.com, or any of the links on SoundCloud, that's definitely appreciated and will definitely help support the podcast. You can also reach Fresh is the Word on the social medias at Instagram and Twitter at Fresh is the Word One. That's Fresh is the Word Number One. And on Facebook, you can go to facebook.com slash podcast and give us a like on that page. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, so go ahead and search Fresh is the Word on there. And go ahead and subscribe to us. And it also would be very helpful if you go onto iTunes and give us a five-star rating and throw some comments on there. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Fresh, 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 fresh is the Word.